Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories. Eleanor, you're joining me today. Yes, indeed I am, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Again. (laughs) It's always just both of us, so uh, we'll continue to, because there will come a day when we're introducing someone else, and and I'm looking forward to that. And where we won't be here at all. Yeah, yeah, true. But we're—I mean—we're joined by lots of people when we do this because there will be yourselves who are listening to this, and of course we have our storyteller Stephen telling us a story today. Yes, indeed, we're very lucky to have them. There's a great way of looking at the stories where and we know that there's a limited amount of stories. Yeah. You know, when we go through the four cycles uh, of Irish mythology, we can identify. Depending if you break down some of the chunkier stories like mm-hmm. the Thon, you can identify about 80, between 70 and 100 stories, mm-hmm. which isn't that many. No, when you, when you think about it, it isn't. But there's every different way you can tell those stories. Yes. And that's endless. You, know, you can play. You, you said earlier on, a, a good storyteller should be able to change the story. Well, I think, not not change the story, I think, uh, because there's connotations of that of, oh, you know, lying, or of changing a story to suit your own ends. And that's not what we mean at all, but a good, I think a good storyteller um, should be able to uh, reveal new things in an old story. Yeah. And be able to um, explore uh, different perspectives um, with their audience and to be able to um, enlighten us because they um, especially as to the context of the story and what that actually means yeah. and um, you know because <laughs> Shakespeare right you know there are hundreds and thousands of, of different Shakespeare adaptations every year and everyone tries to put their own spin on it but it is more or less the same story we haven't really gotten to that stage with Irish mythology yet and I don't know if we will but it's another it's a basically another way of saying that a good storyteller should be able to um, to engage us with that same uh, plot and, and, and characters um, but have the imagination and the, the empathy yeah. to, to put their own spin and to put their own, I guess, sort of um, use their own experiences and emotions as well. To, yeah, I mean, I probably, when you say Shakespeare, probably the, the story I'm familiar with that that's been done most with is uh, Romeo and Juliet. Mm. How many more movie adaptations are there <laughs> going to be? And I don't think that it's Irish mythology hasn't done that, but it hasn't been done on the scale. Yes. You'll yeah. see the adoption of stories and, you know, people will explore relationships. Let's say, one example, between Cullen and Ferdia mm-hmm. and the different ways that can be seen. And then, like, oh, Dermot and Grania versus Tristan and Isolde. Yeah. You know, um, two stories of, of forbidden lovers. Very similar stories, uh, but from Irish and English t- traditions were often... Um, compared with each other. I'd say one one area uh, or one body of people or communities that's done a great job of adapting stories to highlight their own kind of situations would be the LGBTQAI plus community. You've seen great adaptions of that where there's kind of a lot of kind of like gender reversal and stuff like that has been done. And the idea of doing that with uh, Irish mythology is really exciting. Yes. Because we do have some fantastic characters. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you feel like you're getting a bit sick of hearing the same names again and again, or them getting all the attention. Yeah. And there's a lot of... We've talked about this before, where um, characters uh, like the Fianna themselves, not just Fionn McCool, and then, um, you know, can can get a bit shortchanged. 
you know, they don't really um, get their time in the sun, you know. And some of them are great personalities and have great stories. Remember you doing the story of uh, uh, Quilch McRonan? Yeah. Which, which is a great story to kind of like, um, you know, shine a light on. But we've seen it again, we've said it again and again about certain characters who take up a fair bit of the limelight while they don't feature in many stories. Mm. And you look at... Um, you look at... Oh, my Lord, the name escapes me right now. Nisha. Nisha. Yeah, Nisha um, being kind of like considered one of these names that kind of crops mm-hmm. up. But when you look at their actual bibliography, they're, they're the stories that they yeah. feature in, it's like, wow, you're not in that much, but you get a lot of attention. I would love to hear, because they I guess the most famous story they're featured in is Deirdre of the Sorrows, where yeah. he becomes Deirdre's lover. Um, and I would love to hear that story from his perspective. Do you know what? We're going to have to do that. So. Yeah, we'll <laughs> we're going to have to do, do that at some point. Um, but that is the great thing about being storytellers in the in the tradition that we're in. Because mm. a lot of storytelling traditions around the world, it's so important for them for to the keep the details. It's a preservation of history. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we, as storytellers, get to play with it. Yes. I think, I mean, there's... Um... I don't want to go into the into the details too much of of the story we're about to tell, but I think there's, um, you know, there there, there there's details, um, say in Irish stories, um, that could only be found in Irish stories because of the the context and the place, you know, yeah. that they're taking um, place in. You know, it would be, um, it, I guess it would be kind of strange if um, the Funus, you know. If we were telling a straight story and then the Fianna started pulling out like guns or fireworks or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Unless you were like really going for something. Yeah. 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 About it. It's been done it's been done with Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Well you mentioned a story that's gonna be told today or you kinda of alluded to it, so I think mm. we'll head into the story now. And it's gonna be Stephen, uh, an amazing storyteller here at the museum, and their take on a very well known Irish story, mm-hmm. The Birth of Usheen. Yes indeed. Which an awful lot of time you hear it, it's actually not really a story about Usheen, it's more of a, a Fionn McCool story. Yeah. But I think Stephen's gonna give it to us in a very different way today. There was a young woman of the she named Sive. Now you have to understand that what we consider to be a young woman and what the she consider to be a young woman are two very different things. So Saev, she was probably about 500 years old, which would be quite young for the she. For us, I suppose it would be about the equivalent of age 20. One day, Saev was going about her business, just living her daily life, when she came upon a druid. Now this druid was very taken with Sive's beauty, and he begged her, implored her, to share his bed that night. Now Sive, she hadn't found this druid particularly attractive before he spoke. He hadn't thought about him in that regard at all, truth be told. But after he had made such an inappropriate advance as the very first words he'd said to her. She found him minus attractive. But still, she let him down gently. She very politely declined his kind offer. 
And the druid, he took this as the greatest insult imaginable. And so in retribution, he struck her across the face with a hazel wand, transforming her into the shape of a deer. And he said, If you ever want to be released from this shape, you must follow me wherever I go. You must obey my every command. And then I might consider changing you back. And Scythe, she felt she had no choice. She didn't want to live her whole life as a deer, and she couldn't think of any other way to regain her true form. And so she followed the druid wherever he went, and she obeyed his every command for years and years, until finally one of the druid's servants took pity on her, and he told her how to break the druid's spell. He said that if she spent one night in the fort of Fionn Macool upon the hill of Allen, she would be transformed back to her true form. No longer would she walk upon the four hooves of a deer. Instead, she would walk upon the two feet of a woman once again. Now, as it happens, Fionn Macool and his two cousins, Bran and Skjolon, who were also dogs, were hunting in that very same area just a few days later. Now you may be wondering why Fionn McCool's cousins were dogs, but that's an entirely other story. Though you have to admit that their inclusion in this one has a certain amount of thematic resonance. Hearing that the Fianna were hunting so close by Sive decided that this was her opportunity, this was her chance. She waited until the druid was asleep, and she snuck out into the woods searching for the Fianna. When she finally caught sight of their hunting parties, she stepped into the clearing right in front of them, and immediately they gave chase. For any ordinary deer, this hunt would have lasted only a few moments. But Sive was not an ordinary deer. She still had the grace, the cunning and the speed of the she. And so she led them on a chase for many hours. And before long, only Fionn and his hounds had the skill and the speed to keep up the pursuit. When she realised that the rest of the hunters had fallen so far behind, Sive slowed, and she stopped. Bran and Skjolon came galloping after her, but when they saw that she had stopped, they paused and looked at her, with their heads tilted. They approached slowly and sniffed at her, they could tell this was not an ordinary deer, and so they lay down on either side of her. 
A few moments later, Fionn McCool arrived. And seeing his two hounds laying down on either side of this deer, that the deer was not running or showing any sign of fear or nerves, he paused himself. There was something very strange about this deer, something very different. Why did it not flee himself and his hounds? Why did it show no sign of fear? He had to know why this deer was behaving so strangely. And so he led it back home, back to his fort on the hill of Allen, and he explained what had happened to the rest of the Fianna. And they agreed this was very strange. This was not the normal behaviour of a deer, but that it was a mystery for the morning. So Fionn, he went to sleep. And the next morning, when he woke up, he didn't find a deer sleeping on the floor between the hounds Bran and Shkiolon. Instead, he found the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his life laying stark naked on the floor between the hounds. And he did the only thing a man of his nobility could do in such a situation. He found a blanket and he placed it over her and he sat upon a stool and he waited for her to wake up. When she did, she told him who she was that her name was Scythe, that she was the woman of a she who had been placed under a spell by a druid, and that the only way that spell could be broken was to spend a night in the fort of Fionn McCool. But looking into each other's eyes, they both knew that that was not really the end of the story that the rest of the story was something the two of them were going to have to make together. Within a month, they were married. They had many happy times in the fort of Fionn upon the hill of Allen. But after a year had passed, Fionn was called away to deal with invaders who had come from across the northern sea. He was gone for many days. A sigh she did not pine after Fionn. She was not worried that he would not return to her. She had faith in his skills in battle, his leadership and his warriors. She knew he would return unharmed. But after a few days of Fionn's departure, she felt a stirring inside her. She felt her belly begin to swell. She noticed her blood was late. She knew she was pregnant. And then she was eager for Fionn's return so that she could share this wonderful news. She listened and watched every day for any sign that he may be coming back. And one morning, 
she heard a blast of the Fian Dord, the great hunting horn of the Fianna. She ran out to the gate of the fort for any sign, and she saw upon the horizon a form standing there, the self-same stature of Fionn McCool, and on either side a hound, each one the same stature of Bran or Skjolon. She couldn't be stopped. She ran out the gate, she ran up the hill, and just as she was about to throw her arms around Fionn's neck, there was a ripple, and it was no longer Fionn McCool standing before her, but the druid who struck her across the face again with the hazel wand, transforming her back into the shape of a deer. He threw a rope around her neck and dragged her off. She lived for several years in the home of the druid. He did not let her out. He kept her tied to a wall inside and she gave birth to her child a beautiful baby boy with jet black hair she did the best she could to raise him but she was trapped in the form of a deer and he he was human he never learned to speak she did the best that she could she hoped and hoped and hoped that one day, one day Fionn would find her and free her and free her child. She listened for any sign, any sign that he might be near, but never heard anything. Until one day, one day she heard the familiar blast of the Fiendord the hunting horn of the Fianna. And though she could not go to follow the sound herself, she pushed her son out into the woods, hoping, hoping someone might find her. A Fionn McCool, he had searched for a year and a day for his wife. But no matter how much he searched and how much he hunted, he could find no sign. And he was on a hunt just a few years later. And he heard Bran and Skjolon began barking and yapping just as they would as if they were at play, not the way they would on a hunt, not at all. And he was wondering why they would be making such a sound. And so he went and looked for them, and he found them playing with a young boy about four years old. The child was filthy, his hair long and matted. He couldn't speak a word. But looking at his face, there was something familiar about him. Fionn, he brought the child home. He needed a caretaker, and Fionn was the one who found him, so the child was his responsibility. The child 
learned to speak very quickly, almost frighteningly so, and he spoke with incredible eloquence almost immediately. He told Fionn his story, where he had come from, and Fionn knew that this was his child with Sive, his son with Sive. He named the child Oshin, which means little deer. And Oshin grew up to be one of the greatest heroes of the Fianna. And that is the birth of Oshin. So there we have the birth of Oshin. Um a shift in focus how you'd normally how I'd normally tell it anyway yes indeed yeah a fantastic telling of it but yeah as you say normally we hear this story from the perspective of Fionn McCool and Fionn only you know it starts with him one day and his hounds coming across this deer um, who the hounds don't want to kill so there's something yeah. special there that, you know, they bring the deer back and then it turns into a woman and it's Ive. And, she's, and she has like one or two lines about her predicament, you know, yeah. about the druid. And you know? Fionn's like, you're safe now with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very action hero voice you put on there. Oh, well. Wow. For that. But yeah, it, it is nice to kind of see, see a, kind of a, a, a shift um, in the focus on it. You do have to fill in a few gaps when you do that. But yeah. I don't think that's any different than in, when you do from... Because whereas normally it's done, let's say, not necessarily from Fionn's perspective, but where he's the focus. Mm. But you still know about what happens while he's away at battle, what happens to her. Though I've heard versions where his men fill him in that they say they saw her running off as a deer. Yeah, that like, Fionn goes off to battle, Fionn misses out, Fionn comes back and she's not there. And then they tell him what has happened. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's more like gossip than anything. Not gossip, more like, oh, why, sir, you know, um, is your wife not here who we were meant to look after? Yeah. This is what happened. It's yeah. not gossip, it's more of like, they're getting into trouble. Yeah, you know? that's because... it, I suppose they are. But she's an awful tragic character. I mean, she do, she gives us Ushin. Yes. Um, she gives us Ushin, but the, again, she's one of these characters where she has such a massive impact. Mm. She's responsible for such, I mean... If it, if it wasn't for Sive, you know, we wouldn't have Oshin, we wouldn't have the story of Tyrion and Oak, uh, which is another one of our massive kind of stable stories. Mm-hmm. But there's no more about Sive in that regard. No, we don't We don't really hear what happens to her after Oshin is born. Yeah. Um, and um, yet this is, I mean, this is her role to in, in the cycle, I guess, to give birth to Oshin. Yeah, and I'm glad. I'm glad, especially like with Stephen's telling of it there, that we don't just use her as a means to an end. No, we do get to 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 flesh her out a bit. Yeah. Um, as a as a as a, you know, as a as a lady of the she and as uh, as a deer. As a mother and as a partner, mm-hmm. you know. But um, yeah, I wonder how many more perspectives you could look at that. From. I mean, at telling of that story from the Druid's perspective. Yeah. Or suddenly the villain, I mean, we learned something about him that I think it would take an awful lot to make that character, you know, you have any sympathy for that character. Oh, God, yes. But that with the, with the, with the hazel rod, mm. which we see the hazel rod being used again and again in, yeah. in different stories. Um, but yeah, it's nice to kind of listen to a story in a, from a very different 
perspective. Yeah, it does. And it takes a lot of, um, I mean, not just sort of imagination, but empathy to be able to do, to do that and to do that well. And to do it with, with elements of humour and I crack up, but I've listened to that story a few mm. times now, and uh, the minus attractive. Oh. <laughs> There's language kind of that you can use mm-hmm. to lighten the mood and mm-hmm. lighten the tone. But that makes sense for that part of the story where, um, where Sive is, you know, a young woman of 20, but, you know, 500 years, years. yeah. Years. Um, you know, so so I kind of I don't know if this was intentional on Stephen's part, but to use that sort of language uh, when uh, when Sive is you know a young woman and not into this into this guy who's propositioning her, but 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 turns him down, yeah. and then all of a sudden um, she and all of a sudden that changes and it becomes this 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 this, this tragic story of. Um, you know where she where she's bound to this to this evil druid and turned into a a, a deer, and um, then of course um, there's a there's a, a bit of that likeness again where or maybe just a bit of Stephen the storyteller yeah coming out when they mention Bran and Skjolan. yeah yeah that I love that mechanic of that hint at another story and I think it's what makes you want to listen to a good storyteller. Mm. You know, you want them to come back, and yeah. in terms of traditional storytellers in Ireland, mm-hmm. Shanachie, who travelled around, itinerant storytellers, you would kind of be—I don't know—they'd be a, a, a hunger for them to arrive back in your town when they'd come back again, mm-hmm. and that kind of bolstered their value an awful lot. You never yeah. knew what they were going to bring with them. Yeah, even more than just hinting at, oh, there's another story here of Brandon Skillon. Um, even the um, even Stephen saying, um, you know, it's great that they're actually here because um, you know that they used to be people and now that they're now they're dogs because of the thematic resonance. Yeah, again, and it's like another... Stephen letting you in on a little storytelling secret. Yeah, you know? and that's what you mean sharing secrets with people as yeah. well is uh, is a is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the secrets are just your own take on something. Yes. So I'm not just reading off the page. I'm going to give you some of my insight. Mm. From my experience, this is how I see it. And that's an incredible way to kind of, kind of to look at things. Mm. And I think the ability and willingness mm-hmm. to share that, um, again, makes makes her a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to, to stay true to the story at yeah. the same time and to stay grounded. Because... Um, with that, there can sometimes be the, the the temptation or the impulse to to go on a on a flight of fancy and forget the story that you're actually trying to tell. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, it can be tough to stay on track. I think a great mm. storyteller is who who I would have loved, and I think a Billy Conley actually, mm. who's someone who would go off and fly a, flan- a flight of fancy. Mm. That's difficult to say. Um, and would somehow bring it back around. Yeah. But there's a lot of discipline in being a good storyteller. Yes, there is. And, and that's something that, that's a bit underrated, I think. A lot of discipline, discipline and control needed. Yes. Yeah. It's like playing an instrument. Hmm. I mean, you know what the notes and the chords you have to hit are, mm. whereas if you were just like strumming away on something, then it's just, it's just noise. Mm. And you need to be able to um, have the control and mastery to um, not only be able to tell... Um, to tell this story like as good yeah. again and again and again, but also be able to be f- to 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 be willing to be flexible enough to um, 
to, to, to go with your, what your audience is feeling and what they need. And yeah, and yeah, and who the audience are. I yeah. mean, I think it was nice the way kind of Stephen brushes over the fact that, you know, the two lay down together. And even that's me kind of phrasing it in a particular way. Mm. Um, but it still leaves room for you to have your own insights into the story. Yes, indeed. It's, it's what isn't said as well. And I mm. think the idea that Sive could be free if she could spend a night in the you know in the in the, the home you know or the dwelling of the fina that's not realistic because naturally the, the only way a deer would be coming into their land is if it was being carried over the shoulder right you know if it yeah. was food uh, <laughs> or food or furnishing is the only way that a deer would make its way in but it's that thing again of Bran and on recognizing mm. that not everything's as it appears to be Yes, indeed. That's a that's a really good point. That's such a uh, a terrifying ultimatum, yeah, or a dilemma. Um, and even then, for if Sive the deer was able to um, to get into the hill of Allen and to 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 you know where Fionn is is sleeping, where he spends his nights, um, and as a human, throw herself on his mercy. Yeah, you know, is another scary thing. And now, um, when you know, when men joined the Fina, they one of the vows that they did have to make was that they would be gentle to all women. Yeah. So uh, hopefully she would be covered there, and she was. Yeah, I yeah, she like was. It. But uh, <laughs> well, the Fina were, as they should be, in service to the people of Ireland. Yes. And we see the kind of conflict between Fionn and certain kings at certain times, mm. where they're reluctant because Fionn knows that his popular popularity and his power overshadows a ruler. Mm. And we see that in the story of Quilch Macronon. Yeah. Um but they are they are in service. Yes. They're, they're public the, servants. Yeah, they're not the king's personal bodyguards. No. Though they'll defend the nation like Fionn and the Fina go off to do when yeah. the Norsemen, the Vikings come. Yeah. Um so it's kinda of interesting to kinda of look at them as a body and see what actually are they up to as as a whole. Yeah. What's their purpose? Well there's a lot of hunting. So much hunting. And of course, one of the main creatures that they hunt is deer. Yeah. Yeah, so what a thing to turn her into. I mean, if they if they turn her into anything else, they mm. probably would have been relatively okay. Well, imagine like, um, you know, perhaps it might have played a part in, um, oh wow, I'm going to have to finish this thought now. Um, so say if, you know, you catch a hedgehog or something. Okay. Fionn catches like a hedgehog or a mole and brings it to his dwelling because, I don't know, Bran and think there's something interesting or otherworldly about it. Yeah. And then that turns into a woman. And it's like, um, hmm, that's not the most... <laughs> there is that rule, though. Is it of... different if, if, if she was a, if she'd been a, 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 a mole? Now, moles, there aren't any moles in Ireland, but, you know, go with it. So it would have been As unusual. We just thought it was a niffler. <laughs> but I think there's that one of those rules with regards to kind of turning people into animals that you mm. keep the mass the volume is, has to be kind of kept similar yeah uh, not not in, necessarily in Irish uh, mm. folklore and Irish kind of belief but you see that happening in other cultures as well so mm. the idea of like a big grown man turning himself into a butter, butterfly mm. you wouldn't see that happening in certain cultures because it's just not an option yeah but the turning of people into animals in Irish stories is an interesting one because we do have Bran and Scholon uh, who were born pups. Yes. Um, at the time, their mother was a dog um, when they were born. Mm -hmm. But with Sive, you see that she's a deer and she gives birth to a human baby. Mm. Um, 
another one we see is in the the, the Sons of Turin, where we see the, the the fallen hero gets turned into well, turns himself into a pig to disguise themselves. But it's so magic is so commonplace in our stories. Yeah. There's nothing to it. And it's, it can be really hard to tell who has magic. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be something that is available to a lot of people. Mm. True artifacts or true... Their lineage. Their lineage, yeah. The inheritance of power in that yeah. way. My God, maybe we're going to have to look into magic at some point for, for one of our talking series. Ah, oh, we'll have to. Yeah. Yeah. Who has magic, who doesn't, and what do they do with it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, today I think we've covered a great story, and thank you so much, Eleanor, for for your your insight and your course, and your Mark. your companionship on this journey. Oh. Uh, thanks <laughs> to Stephen, of course, for an amazing story, and thank you to everyone for to, for listening. If you want to check out more of our podcasts, you can find them on Spotify. Uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, basically. And uh, wherever you do like to listen, if you could give us a a review as well, that would be really, really great, really helpful. Thank you very much. We appreciate you all so much. Uh, Thank you again, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Yes, indeed. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.